Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Let's dive in this morning. Jesus has been called many things. Prophet, teacher, man, God. But who did he say he is? Many people have an opinion on who Jesus is, but today we're starting a new series, I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. And we're going to look at the statements that Jesus said about himself. In the book of John, there are eight statements, each starting with the phrase, I am. And over the course of this series, we're going to be looking at some of those statements. Because by considering what Jesus said about himself, we can allow that to shape the way that we see him. By way of introduction to the whole series, it's important to know a couple of things about John. John's gospel was written by the Apostle John, I know, deep, (laughs) who was one of the 12 disciples, which means he was actually an eyewitness to everything that Jesus did. But more than that, John had an incredibly close relationship with Jesus. John is described as the disciple that Jesus loved. It's at the Last Supper that we find John reclining with his head on Jesus' chest. And it's John that had an amazing visitation with Jesus on the island of Patmos in his later years. It's fair to say that John's relationship with Jesus was far closer than most of the other disciples. John's gospel is also very different to the gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. Matthew, Mark and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They're written in a very similar way, building line upon line, argument upon argument about Jesus being the Messiah. They're written to different audiences, giving the details of Jesus' life. But John is not so much interested in the details. John is more about wanting to communicate with us the emotion and the depth and the meaning of what it was like to be with Jesus. Let me give you an example. I enjoy watching motor racing. And today is the Bathurst 1000, the pinnacle of motor racing in Australia. I particularly love it when the Volvo's giving it to the Falcons and the Commodores. Come on, come on, Volvo lovers. Uh, Just me, Uh, just me. I'm going to really enjoy watching some of that telecast this afternoon. And as I watch it, I find that there are two different types of commentator that will be talking this afternoon. For one, there is the technical commentator. It's usually Mark Larkham. And he would say something like, today's Bathurst 1000 is going to come down to strategy and how each team manages its seven pit stops. Over the course of the day, each vehicle will use nearly 800 litres of fuel and eight sets of tyres. The vehicles will hit nearly 300 kilometres an hour down Conrod Strait. 
And the key to a fast lap here is having a vehicle that flows well over the top of the mountain, getting great drive out of forest elbow, so it can get to that top speed as quickly as possible. The technical commentator is usually the one with all the stats. Usually the one that will give the analysis of what happened. Usually the one with the whiteboard, Andre, <laughs> to help explain what's really going on. But then there's the action commentator, someone like Mark Scaife. And he'll be in the commentary box and he'll say something like, and whilst Scott McLaughlin and the Volvo shouldn't be underrated here, look at Lounsey. Look at him. There he is. Can you see him? Look at his eyes. Steely, focused, ready to go. Oh, Lounsey, he hasn't lost any of the fire. He's one of the oldest members of this field, but look at him. Look at him. He's on. He's in. The rain that's coming later in the day, oh, that's going to suit him. It's going to throw the cat amongst the pigeons, but Lounsey... Lounsey, he's going to rise like the true champion that he is. You can never, never discount Craig Lowndes. Motor racing may not be your thing. But you'll find, you'll find these two commentators in nearly every sport. The technical commentator, the action commentator. If you like, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, are the technical commentator. They're giving us the details as to what's happening. But John, John's more like the action commentator. He's trying to communicate emotion. He's trying to draw us in. He's trying to get us involved. If you like, John brings the colour to the gospel stories. For me, this is one of the things that I love about the Bible. The gospel stories all differ slightly because they're written by different people to different audiences from different perspectives. I used to be a high school teacher and quite often you'd have to deal with incidents that happened at school and more often than not, when the stories lined up too well you knew that there was something not quite right. As a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If your, if your children come to you saying the same, like the exact same thing, you know it's been rehearsed. <laughs> it's actually the small differences in the gospel that add to the credibility and the validity of the Bible. They don't detract from it. Over the course of this series, you will hear us repeatedly say, when you know who Jesus is, you know who he is calling you to be. We need to allow God's authority to determine our identity. We need to understand, in fact, it's only through an understanding of Jesus being Saviour, Lord, King, creator, that we find our place within that. In our remaining time this morning, I'm going to look at the first of these I am statements. I am the bread of life. It's found in John 6, 25 to 35, 
But before we get to that scripture, let me uh, give you a little bit of background because there's a lot of stuff happening here in John and I'd encourage you to take some time and read it for yourselves a little bit later. Chapter 6 starts with an amazing catering miracle. Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children from five small barley loaves and two small fish. A large, large crowd came to see Jesus and Jesus said to one of his disciples, feed them. To which Philip, the disciple, said to Jesus, we can't do that. It would take more than half a year's wages for each person to have one mouthful of bread. They found a boy who was willing to give up his lunch and Jesus took five small loaves and two fish, blessed them and had the disciples distribute it. When everyone had their fill, there was 12 baskets of food left over. An amazing multiplication miracle that met a very practical need of the people that came to see Jesus. Jesus and the disciples left that place, but the crowd followed them and found the disciples and Jesus on the other side of the lake. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. There are three things that I want to draw from this passage of Scripture this morning, and the first one is that he is our sustenance. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I know that there are some people in this room that have already turned off. I know for some people in this room, you don't do bread. <laughs> I know for some people in this room, it may be because you're allergic. You may be celiac, you may be gluten intolerant. Or it may be a choice thing. You may not do bread because bread's just full of junk. It's full of sugar, full of bleached flour. Don't want all of that. All right? I don't do bread. 
For some in this room, it's, I just don't want the carbs. I know I'm going to have to go to the gym and whatever I put in, I'm going to have to work off. And so I, I, I just don't want those carbs. Clearly, that's not me, but that's beside the point. Let's face it. Bread has a bad reputation in our culture. But when Jesus said that, he wasn't speaking directly into our culture. He was speaking into a Jewish culture. And for the Jewish culture, bread had great significance. We need to remember, bread was a staple food when it came to the Jewish people. Let's go back to the feeding of the 5,000 just for a moment. When Jesus said, feed the crowd, Philip's thought process went straight to bread. It would take a year's wages to give these people enough for one mouthful. His thought process, bread. When they found the boy who was willing to give up his lunch, what did he have? Five loaves of barley bread, two fish. That was it. That was lunch. Now, if I sent that with, with, to my kids to school... I'm probably going to get phone calls from the teachers saying, you're not looking after your kids properly. But for the Jewish people, bread was critical. Bread was the staple. In our culture, we've relegated bread to the side plate. Bread for the Jewish people wasn't put on the table for you to eat before the real meal came. Bread wasn't just on the side plate. Bread was the meal. Different cultures have different staple foods. For the Italians, pasta is their staple food. Pasta is their meal. And if Jesus spoke into an Italian culture, he would have said, I am the pastor of life. For some Asian countries, rice is their staple. Rice is their meal. And if Jesus was speaking into that Asian culture, he would have said, I am the rice of life. Or maybe he would have said, I am the noodle of life. If Jesus was speaking into an Australian culture, he probably would have said, I'm the Barbie of life. If Jesus was speaking into a Greek culture, he probably would have said, I am the lamb. But he actually did say that. And we'll come back to that later. I know that life can be busy. And I know that we have a couple of sayings that when life gets busy, we say our plate is full. Or... When we forget something, we say it slipped off the side of our plate. When Jesus said he was the bread of life, he was saying, you don't need me on the side plate. You need me smack bang in the middle of the main plate. You need to let him be the sustenance for our lives. And when we put the bread of life right in the middle of the main plate, everything else finds its place around it. 
Just like we take in food to nourish and sustain our bodies, at regular intervals each day, Jesus is saying to us, we need to take him, the bread of life, at regular intervals each day to sustain our very souls. He is our sustenance. Secondly, Jesus is saying that he is our satisfaction. There's lots of things in life that give us a self... Let me start that again. There's lots of things in life that give us a sense of satisfaction. A couple of years ago, myself and my family, we bought a new house. And when we bought a new house, we moved in and there was that (sighs) moment as all of a sudden we had more space that we could move into. And then as we started making that home ours, we started going through and we started painting. And as we painted each room, there was that ah moment, that sense of satisfaction. For others, it may be your work. Maybe getting a promotion creates that ah moment, that sense of satisfaction. For some... It's the new car. For some, it's the new electronic gadget. But there are many things in life that give us that sense of satisfaction. For some, it's a good meal. For some, it's close relationships. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things giving us a sense of satisfaction. The problem is is that it's way too fleeting. Some of those rooms that Kathy and I painted, need painting again. The new electronic gadget, six months at best, before there's something newer, better, brighter. There's nothing wrong with it, with a sense of satisfaction, but if that's all we've got, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. When the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the lake... He said to them, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The crowd thought they found a meal ticket. They'd eaten the bread and fish from the miracle that was just yesterday. And they followed Jesus, not with their hearts, but with their stomachs. They wanted Jesus to satisfy their natural hunger again. And if we're honest, there are times that we do the same thing. We reach out to Jesus to fulfill our natural desires, sometimes our carnal desires. And Jesus lovingly says, I can do that, but you're missing the point. We need to pursue him for the food which doesn't spoil He is the bread of life, not for our stomachs, but for our soul. I know from my own life that when my soul is satisfied, my natural desires find their rightful place. But when my soul is undernourished, or when my soul is restless, my natural desires seem to want to take priority. 
Jesus is saying that not only can he satisfy, but that he will satisfy. And he'll satisfy anyone who believes in him. And in actual fact, he's going a step beyond that. He's actually saying, you know what? I'm the only one that can satisfy. Church, let me encourage you today. Outside Jesus, the Rolling Stones were actually right. I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) Jesus is our sustenance. Jesus is our satisfaction. And he is also our strength. Have you ever been hungry enough that you start getting a little bit emotional? Have you ever been hungry enough that someone comes into your office and then all of a sudden it's like... (laughs) Hungry enough to be hangry? How about another saying? Have you ever been hungry enough to eat a horse? Maybe. Have you ever been hungry enough that you have been physically weak? So obviously we're not talking about a little bit hungry. We're not talking about, oh, I could go for a snack. I'm talking about, you know what? I don't know if I can take another step hungry. Have you ever noticed what you want to drink when you get to that point? Now, if you're that thirsty, I'm talking desert mouth thirsty. I'm talking tongue like sandpaper thirsty. What is it that you're drawn to to drink? Water. You will bypass Coke. You'll bypass tea and coffee. You'll bypass most things because it's water that's going to strengthen you. What about when you're that hungry? When you're that hungry that you have that weak feeling what are you drawn to for me I will bypass salad (laughs) not a stretch I know all right (laughs) I'd bypass salad you know what I'd even bypass a steak I might come back to it (laughs) but I would bypass a steak and I'd probably end up with a sandwich Why? Because I know that that bread is going to instantly help. It's going to instantly bring strength. When Jesus started his ministry, he went into the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights he fasted. The Bible then says that Satan came to Jesus the first thing that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with? Bread. Satan said to Jesus, if you're really God, turn these stones into bread. Satisfy yourself. Strengthen yourself. Even though in the natural realm, Jesus was starving. It's called the temptation of Jesus for a reason. In the natural realm, he was starving. In the natural realm, he was weak, 40 days. The Bible says after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, yeah. In that weakened physical state. 
Jesus replied, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus had spent 40 days in the desert. He was physically weak. He was naturally weak. But he just spent 40 days with God. He was spiritually full. He was spiritually strong. And it was out of that strength that he was able to say, no, I don't need that bread. What I need is more of God. In doing that, Jesus is actually giving us a key to help us overcome our temptations. When we are spiritually full, we're spiritually strong. And we can not have to, we don't need to give in to temptation. When Jesus said he is the bread of life, he is saying that he is God. He is saying that his words are life. And he is inviting us to take in his words, to chew on them, to digest them, to allow them to strengthen our very souls. Just like we eat physical bread for sustenance, satisfaction and strength, Jesus is inviting us to feed on him the bread of life for our spiritual sustenance, our spiritual satisfaction and our spiritual strength. When you know who Jesus is, you know who he is calling you to be. Jesus is our sustenance, our satisfaction and our strength. We don't need to run after those things. We're allowing his authority to shape our identity. Because when we try to fill our lives with those things, it never satisfies. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. When the bread of life, Jesus himself, chose to be broken apart for us, he also became our salvation. He made a way for us to get back into right relationship, right standing with God. And as we feed on him, we allow him to strengthen us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 